Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. What do you believe? I mean, really, what do you believe about God? And what do you believe about yourself? And what do you believe about life? Every Sunday in August, our theme has been believe. Because I believe that that what you believe is incredibly important to your life. I'm convinced that what happens to you in life is not nearly as powerful or as significant as what you believe happens to you. Jesus said this, he said, according to your faith, let it be unto you. The message translation takes that exact same phrase and puts it this way, become as you believe. Here's the truth. If you get your believing wrong, then you'll get every other area of life wrong too. Why? Because if you start to believe the wrong things, you'll start to expect the wrong things. You'll start to frame your world and your perspective will be framed by wrong things. And ultimately, you'll end up with a self-fulfilling prophecy where your revelation leads to your expectation. It leads to your perspective. And finally, it comes full circle to a realization of that which you always believe. What you believe is incredibly powerful. But it's also true that if you start to believe right things, then you'll start to expect right things. You'll start to view and perceive life the right way. You'll start to make right decisions. And I believe ultimately you'll be blessed. But it all begins with what you believe. And so I wonder this morning, what is it that you believe? What do you really believe? What are the convictions of your life about God and about yourself and about life? We started two weeks ago on this series I believe, and we began by looking at, I believe God is good. Of all the words that the Bible uses to describe what God is like, my favorite is that God is good. That you've got to settle in your heart that simple truth, right? It doesn't matter what else you believe about God that might be right. If you miss this one, it'll affect the way that you relate to God. You've got to understand God's good. But when you come to this church, you've got to understand we will preach one message about God, and that is that He is good. That's why I love vibrant, expressive, passionate worship. I love that because it's worship that's focused on God and not focused on us. It's not about how bad we are. It's actually about how good God is. I love that. I love that we have a worship team that's not afraid to have fun. It's not afraid to express their passion and their heart for God. I love that we're a church that can have people dress up as Superman right? And Spider-Man and and, and even little Bowser, right? Because we know how to laugh and have fun and enjoy our time together. Because God is not morbid. God is not angry. God is not distant. The Bible says that God is good. And if our services are to reflect what God is like, then our services ought to as well be fun and life-giving. They ought to be passionate and expressive. Why? Because God's not dead. He's alive. God's not morbid and angry. He loves us. And so week two, last week we looked at, I believe I'm made in the image of God. I tell you, when you begin to understand that simple truth, not just in your head, but it begins to make its way from your head all the way down to your heart to realize that you're made in the image of God, it'll change the way that you see yourself. In a culture that wants to define itself by the externals, you'll realize you have intrinsic value. You're made in the image of God. And that means you could lose everything. And you've still lost nothing because you're made in the image of God. It'll change the way you see yourself. But it'll also change the way that you see your future because you'll begin to identify with higher things. And also, it'll begin to change the way that you see others. 
Because you realize that every single person precious in God's sight is made in his image. And so this morning in week number three, for these mornings in August, I want to look at this. I want to speak to you today on the subject, I believe I am made worthy. For all of the people who take notes in church, which statistically means that you live a longer life. I believe I'm made in the image of God. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12 says this. You know how we exhorted you. This is Paul writing to the church. He says, For you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I want to speak to us this morning on this subject. I am made worthy. You know, that call to walk worthy of God is usually seen by people as a call for us to pull up our socks. To, to walk worthy of God, oftentimes people imply that to be able to mean, you know, you need to try harder. You need to get your act together. Come on, you need to walk worthy of God. You need to do more and you need to be better and, and try harder. And, and oftentimes that call to walk worthy of God is seen as a call for us to be able to pull up our socks. But you need to understand this morning that when the Bible says for you and I to walk worthy of God, that's not a call for us to try harder or to pull up our socks. It's actually a call for us to lift up our heads. To walk worthy of God is not to do right things. It's impossible for anyone to ever walk in a way that would make them worthy and deserving of God. And yet so many Christians live that way. So many Christians live this way trying to earn God's love, trying to earn God's forgiveness, trying to earn God's acceptance, thinking that, that to walk worthy of God is to try and pull my socks up and try harder. But actually what Paul is encouraging us to do is to lift our head up. If to walk worthy of God means to do right things... But then here's a very logical question. How many right things do you have to do before you're finally walking worthy of God? Like, is it a thousand things? Like, like a million? Like, how many right things are you supposed to do? But the truth is, if you live that way, that's part of the reason why there's so many disheartened, discouraged, and defeated people in the church. Because they're trying to live out a religious life to make their way to God. But that's why religion fails people. Because it attempts to make people worthy by rules and regulations. The good news of Jesus is that through his death on the cross, you and I have been made worthy. And so to live worthy doesn't mean that we need to pull up our socks. What it actually means is to lift up our head and live, not as someone trying to earn worthiness, but live as someone who realizes because of what Jesus has done, I am already made worthy. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this, it's a great scripture. It's one of those scriptures you ought to commit to memory. For he, talking about God, made him, talking about Jesus, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's the truth. The difference between religion and Christianity is the difference between do and done. You've heard me say this before, but it's true that religion ties people in knots and gives them a long list of do, 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 do. And before you know it, religion will tie you in knots and put you up to your neck in do-do. So stop trying to walk in a way that makes you worthy and start walking in a way as if someone has been befitting someone who's been made worthy. 
If you're going to walk in victory, if you're going to walk in the life that Jesus calls us to, if you're going to walk worthy, then you've got to believe, I've been made worthy. Let me give you some thoughts this morning. You'll never walk worthy if you believe these things. You'll never walk worthy if you believe, I need to search my heart for sin. You ever heard somebody say that? You need to search your heart for sin. You'll never walk worthy while you believe you need to search your heart for sin. Here's my question. How much searching would it take you? I don't need to look for sin any harder than I need to look for fried chicken and KFC. Right? Search your heart for sin. Maybe I'm more sinful than the rest of you, right? You don't have to look too far for that sort of stuff. I don't need to look any harder for sin than I need to look for hipsters at a vegan cafe. Right? Religion makes us occupied with ourselves. If you're constantly searching your heart for sin, it doesn't make you conscious of Jesus. It makes you conscious of your sin. If you're constantly searching your own heart for sin, then it just makes you more self-conscious and more sin-conscious. You don't need to go on a treasure, heart, a treasure hunt to find your sins. I don't need to go for a treasure hunt to find my sins. I'm married. Elise will tell me all about my faults and frailties and failings. The truth is, we're all aware of our mistakes. Isn't that true? We don't need to go on a treasure hunt to find our mistakes. We know right where they are. We don't need to be more aware of our mistakes or our faults or our failures. What we do need is to become more aware of Jesus, right? And so when you search your heart for sin, you become more aware of yourself rather than becoming more aware of Jesus. Religion makes us occupied with self, but only faith in Jesus gets our eyes off of ourselves, right? And onto his magnificence, onto his grace, onto his power, David cried out in Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. But notice it was God who did the searching, not David. Right? And so what would God find in the heart of a person who's been redeemed by Christ? If God was to search your heart, you've been redeemed. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus. If you haven't done that yet, then at the end of this morning's service, you'll have a chance to do it. But, but if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're a Christian. If God was to search your heart, what would he find? He'd find the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this, Jesus, we read this before, Jesus who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. If Jesus was to search our hearts today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, what would he find? He would find the righteousness of Christ without spot and without wrinkle and without blemish. That Jesus said, I will remember your sins no more. So why would I be the one to dig them up? I'm made worthy. I've been forgiven. And so if you must search your heart, then let God do the searching. You don't need to do that. And then listen for what God says. I'm proud of you. I love you. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I don't accept you based on what you've done. I accept you based on what my son Jesus has done. That's a good place to clap. Yep. You'll never walk worthy, number two, if you believe I must keep short accounts with God. Ever heard people say stuff like that? You need to keep short accounts with God. My question is, how many accounts with him do you have? I only have one account, and it says paid in full. If you've got multiple accounts, you need to find yourself a new accountant. The Christians don't confess their sin in order to be forgiven. We confess our sin because we're forgiven. 
Come on, I hope this is starting to get you to think this morning. This might be pressing some buttons for you, particularly if you've grown up in church and you've believed some of these things, but you are made worthy. I'm going to help you to see it this morning, right? Now, 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 now don't, take this, don't take this out of context. I'm talking for Christians. If you are not a Christian, if you've not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you better believe, yes, you do need to come and confess your sins to Jesus in order to be forgiven. That you come to Jesus. The first step is coming to Jesus and admitting, I'm a sinner. I can't do this on my own. And then you repent and you confess your sins and ask for forgiveness. And then you receive God's free gift of salvation. And at that moment, your account is settled. You are forgiven. But, but now, having given my life to Christ, I'm a Christian. Now I don't come to Jesus and confess my sins in order to be forgiven. I confess my sins because I know that I'm forgiven. If you believe that you have to confess every sin to be forgiven, then you better be very thorough. I mean, I would hate to be you and get to heaven. And you get to heaven thinking you've, you've asked for forgiveness for everything and you forget about that one sin. In 1959 and Tuesday afternoon, just up, you forgot about that one Sin, if you believe you have to confess every sin in order to be forgiven, then you better be thorough. If you honestly believe that as a Christian that God will not forgive you unless you confess, then you better not miss anything. That's why some Christians live from confession to confession. They're in and out of the kingdom of God multiple times a week. I'm right with God. I did something wrong. I'm wrong with God. But I need to ask God, forgive me, and now I'm right with God again. And then I did something wrong again, so now I'm not right with God. And they're in and out of the kingdom of God multiple times a week. You're not called to live from confession to confession. You're called to live from faith to faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Notice that the scripture says, if you walk in the light, not walk according to the light. In another place in Scripture, Paul kind of defines this. He says, the minute you said yes to Jesus, you were translated, literally teleported from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious light. You walk in the light, but the truth is, from time to time, we don't walk according to the light. We make mistakes. We have areas of temptation or weakness. And so I'm a Christian. I'm walking in the light, but sometimes I don't always walk according to the light. Notice what the Scripture says. But if we walk in in the light, right? Not based on according to the light. If you do all the right things, no, 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 you're in the light. You said yes to him. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, you'll have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So, so I walk in the light, but I don't always walk according to the light because I still have areas of weakness and temptation, but I'm always walking in the kingdom of light. That word cleanses, and it says cleanses from all sin, right? That word cleanses denotes the present and continuous tense. Not just once, but ongoingly. Right? I heard a story of a little boy who he went out into the woods to be able to play, and as he went out into the woods, he found this precious stone. He picked it up from the ground, and as he held it up into the light, it was dirty, but he could tell that this was a rare gem and worth quite a bit of money. And as he held it into the light, he could notice the light starting to begin to be refracted. So he went to a little stream nearby, and he washed the stone off, and as he held it up in the light, it was magnificent. It was beautiful. And so he played with the stone all day, and at the end of the day, he dug a hole, he buried it so no one could find it, and then went home. 
Well, the next day he came back, he, he, he dug up the stone, and as he pulled it out, it, it was beautiful, but it was all dirty, so he had to wipe it all off, and he took it to the stream, and he washed it off, and he played with it all day, and at the end of the day, he dug another hole, and he put it back in the hole, and, and, and then went home, and the next day he came back, and he, he pulled the stone out again from the dirt, and, but it was dirty, it was beautiful, but it was dirty, so he had to wash it all off and clean it up, and, and then he'd play with it all day, and he did this for weeks and weeks and weeks, until eventually he just got sick of washing the stone. And so there was a stream that was nearby. That's where he would go to wash it each day. And he decided rather than burying it in the dirt and making it all dirty again, what what I ought to do is just upstream there's a little waterfall. And I'll wedge it between two rocks. And that way the the waterfall will constantly be washing it. And so when I go to play with it each day, I won't have to try and find it and locate it and dig it out of the ground and then have to wash it off. It'll constantly be clean and ready for me when I come to come and play with it. And so he decided to do just that. How many Christians do you know who dig themselves out of a hole every Sunday and wipe themselves off? Come along to church. Hopefully the worship team's good today because I'm feeling a bit like discouraged and down and so, so I need to sort of wash this thing off. How much better than digging a hole each week to bury ourselves in under our mistakes to, to actually place ourselves under the waterfall of God's forgiveness and grace to realize where we are positioned, not in a hole, not defined by the things we've done wrong, but actually defined by his goodness and grace in our lives. Believing that you need to confess your sins all the time will only make you more sin conscious. But believing you're under the waterfall of God's continuous cleansing will keep you forgiveness conscious. Here's the third one. You'll never walk worthy while you believe, I don't deserve for God to bless me. You know, as a pastor, this is one of the things that saddens me, is that some people honestly believe that. They honestly believe that I don't deserve God to bless me. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 says this. It says, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Can I tell you, if you struggle believing that God ought to bless you, believing that God might bless other people, but, but, but if you knew my story, if you knew where I'd come from, if you knew the kinds of things I struggle with, that then you'd understand that God can't bless me. That then you need to take this scripture home today and you need to put it somewhere prominent in your house. If God be for us, then who can be against us? He that did not even spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not also freely give us all things. What Paul says is the greatest miracle that God can do is salvation. I mean, even if someone was to break their leg and God was to heal their leg right here this morning, that, that would be pretty impressive, but it's not as impressive as salvation. Even if God was to raise somebody from the dead, that would be pretty impressive to behold that, but it's still not as significant as someone being saved by God. Because even if they were raised from the dead, at some point in the future, they will die again. But, but this is the one miracle that doesn't just change their life right now. It changes all of eternity. And so Paul points out the greatest miracle that God can do in a person's life is salvation. It's being forgiven and being made right with him. It's eternal life. And Paul's pointing out, how did you receive that? This incredible gift that God's given. How did you receive that gift? The greatest miracle being saved by God, being knowing where you're going when you finish this life, knowing that you're not going to hell. It comes to you through faith and not by works. So how much more for lesser miracles should it also come by faith and not by works? 
The lesser miracles of healing and prosperity and the restoration of a marriage and, and breakthrough in a particular area of your life. If you, did not re- if you did not earn your salvation, but you received it by faith, then how much more should you receive other miracles the exact same way? Why then do we insist that we need to earn lesser miracles? God doesn't bless you because you're good. God blesses you because he is good. I'm not good in order to be blessed. I'm blessed, and that produces in my heart a desire to want to live in a way that brings glory to his name. Do you see the difference? You'll never walk worthy, number four, while you believe God's angry with me because I've sinned. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13 says this, And you, being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, Jesus, having forgiven you all trespasses. When you said yes to Jesus, he didn't just forgive you of everything you'd done up until that point. He forgave you of all trespasses. That God's forgiveness is such that not only does it make account for everything you've done up to that point, but God's grace is so sufficient that that it also made provision for everything that would happen beyond that point too. Right? Do Do you understand? So when Jesus forgave you, he didn't just forgive you of the sins you'd committed. He also forgave you for the sins that you would ever commit. That's why the scripture says he has made you alive together with him, having forgiven all trespasses. Tomorrow's sins aren't a surprise to God. And I think part of the reason why we all struggle with this is because we only know one view of life. We have a linear view of life. It's the only one we've ever had. But you've got to understand that God is not like us. God exists outside of time. So if you imagine if I was to hold up a ruler in this room that that sort of represented linear time, right? Then the volume of this room would represent eternity. You and I understand one perspective of life. We understand linear time, but God is not like us. He sees the beginning from the end. I'll help you to see it. For you, you've only ever known your life to this point, right? So you know linear life in one straight line. So it's like birth, year one, year two. That's when that thing happened, and then that's when that thing happened. And you only know yourself up to this point. God, because he exists outside of time, is standing on the other end. God is seeing you through the light of eternity, So you see yourself in light of the mistakes that you've made or the achievements that you've had, but God is actually seeing you from this end and seeing you through the light of who he's called you to be. That's why the prophetic is so important because God is calling us forward into a reality that we can't see, but he can because he exists outside of time. That's why we struggle with feeling worthy because we've only ever known our life through our own experience. But God, who does not see from our vantage point, he's not seeing through one linear view. God is seeing from a helicopter view. And so he didn't just make provision for that one time you sinned back there or all the points up until you received him. No, no, no. God's standing on this end of eternity, calling you forward. His forgiveness doesn't just for that part down the end. It's for the whole thing. And so tomorrow's sins are not a surprise to God. God's wrath has been fully satisfied by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. The reason why you and I don't experience the wrath of God, the reason why you and I are spared the wrath of God is because he did not spare it from his own son. You'll never walk worthy while you believe that God's angry with me because I've sinned. Here's the fifth one. You'll never walk worthy while you believe My misfortune is God giving me my just desserts. 
Again, as a pastor, this is one of the things that, that saddens me is that some people actually believe this. You'll never walk worthy while you believe that the bad things that happen in my life might be, could be, the punishment of God. The idea that God uses sickness or disaster in order to punish people is actually an abhorrent idea. It's actually not even a scriptural idea. That, that people who believe that kind of stuff point to scriptures like Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus 26 and verse 27 and 28 says this, If you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I will chastise you seven times for your sins. And so people who believe that stuff point to scriptures like that and say, See, see, see God will punish you for your sins. So if you do the wrong thing, then God will punish you. So that, that sickness that you've got, that's God punishing you. That, 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 that terrible event that happened in your family, it's probably because there was sin somewhere. But you've got to understand that all of Scripture is pointing to Jesus. Come on, I'm pressing some buttons this morning. You've got to realize that all of Scripture is pointing to Jesus. So in Leviticus 26, God points out that there's chastisement for sin. But Isaiah, looking forward to a time when Jesus would come, right? Jesus hadn't even come yet. Isaiah, just anticipating when Jesus would come, writes this in Isaiah 53, right? Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we're healed. People who insist that misfortune is the punishment of God for sin are actually insisting that Jesus wasn't punished enough. What an absurd thing to insist that God needs to get a little bit more punishment out because Jesus didn't do enough. Actually, Jesus was punished more than enough. Have you ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? I got to admit, when I first watched The Passion of the Christ, there were moments in that movie where I actually covered my eyes because I couldn't stomach to watch it. That actually, Jesus has fully borne our punishment. That The chastisement that we deserve was fully executed upon Jesus. And that's the reason why God can offer us grace and mercy. In the, new covenant, in the new covenant, there's now no longer punishment, but training for the person who's received Christ. Some of you might be thinking, well, hold on, hold on. What about Hebrews chapter 12? I mean, Hebrews chapter 12, count it all joy when God chastens you because he chastens those he loves. If you look up that word chastens in Hebrews chapter 12, you'll find that that word chastens in the Greek is the word child training. If you don't look up the Greek, you just read the context of the whole chapter, you'll realize that that word chastens is about child training. Listen to me, no parent puts their kid's hand in the fire to teach them that the fire is hot. No parent runs the car over their child's foot to teach them about road safety, right? No parent would inflict sickness upon their kids to teach them a lesson. That would be incredibly dysfunctional, and God is not like that. And so when the Bible talks about us being chastened in the New Testament, it's talking about it in the sense of being child training, not punishment for sin. That is fully done with by Jesus. This is child training. I've got kids. You've got kids too. The purpose of disciplining your kids is not for you as the parent, it's for them as the child, right? What's more, the training only works if they realize they're being trained, right? It'd be pretty difficult for your kids to work out... Is dad just disciplining us or is he just really angry? Is that the reason why he smacked us? Like, is, was he, is he just... And so if you're sitting there wondering, like, maybe because this happened or maybe because that happened, like, maybe that's the punishment of God. Well, God wouldn't be a very good parent, would he, if you were unsure as to whether or not he was disciplining you, right? 
If we understand that and we're not great parents, how much more God who's perfect? And so you can start to see how these little religious sayings don't actually fit with the Bible, but they also tie people up in religious knots. You'll never walk worthy while you believe those sorts of things. I want to encourage you today to walk worthy. Not because you need to earn it, not because you deserve it, but because you've been made worthy. I want to lead a church like that. Come on, I want to lead a church with people like that, people who walk worthy of God. That's not a church where everyone's perfect. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's not a church where everyone's perfect. I'm talking about a church where everyone understands just how magnificent Jesus really is. I'm talking about a church that begins to understand that his grace really is that sufficient. I'm talking about a church that understands that when Jesus said it is finished, it really is done, right? I'm talking about a church where people, young people, old people, in between age people understand that God loves me, that God demonstrated it once and for all when Jesus went to the cross, even while I was still a sinner, even while I didn't care about him, even while I was still cursing him out. Jesus went to the cross. If there was ever an a illustration, if there was ever a moment in history that we could point to to say, does God really care? Does heaven really worry about us? That then we could look at Jesus on the cross and realize that that casts a shadow over all of human history, including yours and mine, that we serve a God who loves us. We're not perfect people, but we do serve a perfect God. And he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. No, he treats us as his righteousness deserves. A church like that begins to understand that there's nothing you could do to make God love you more. That's not the reason why you tithe. That's not the reason why you serve. That's not the reason why you come along. You could do nothing more to make God love you more. But it also means equally that there's nothing you could do to make God love you less. When you get a church like that, the worship is incredible. There's no worship leader needing to encourage the congregation. Because all of us come ready, we realize God really is that good. He's made us worthy. I'm the least deserving person for God to ever declare you're worthy. And yet God made me worthy. And as a result of that, man, my heart's desire is, God, thank you. That it should produce in us such a heart of gratitude that the moment anyone even hears like a sound begin to start. When the worship leader, when they turn the sound system on, right? A couple of weeks ago, some of the team who are here really, really early, Trevor and Matt McClimate, who are here early and set out the sign so people can actually find this place. Sitting in the back of the auditorium, they've done what they're doing for the morning and they're standing there next to Graham. And they said, man, how good is this? That we get to be here on Sunday mornings and we get to hear the worship team practicing. That we just get to spend some time worshiping God even before the service starts. What is that? That's people who've understood that there is a gratitude that is produced in the heart of a person who realizes God doesn't treat me as I deserve. He treats me as according to his goodness. And so the call to walk worthy of God is not a call for us to pull up our socks. It's actually a call for us to lift up our head. As the worship team comes back, I want to encourage you this morning to lift up your head. Let me give you just a couple of thoughts. To lift up your head, I want to encourage you to begin by walking worthy of the gospel. Come on, you've been made worthy. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, and like I said, if you haven't done that yet, there's going to be an opportunity. I'll, I'll make sure that we've got time today. I'll give you an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus. But if you've done that and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I've got to tell you, you've been made worthy. So walk as one who's been made worthy. Walk worthy of the gospel. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27 says this, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, 
What an encouragement. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul writes to the church, he says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What's the gospel? Paul tells us in Romans. Romans chapter 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. That the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. And so you can apply the power of the gospel because you're made worthy to do so. There's, no, there's not much point to Jesus securing our forgiveness, Jesus securing our salvation, our blessing, our peace, our prosperity, our healing. There's not much point in Jesus securing all of that if you and I don't feel worthy enough to access it. The truth is Jesus has secured our forgiveness, salvation, prosperity, blessing, healing, peace. And you and I have been made worthy. And so we don't come to God as, as those that, that beg and, and grovel. No, no, we come boldly before Him. Why? Not because I'm good, but because He's been that good to me. I come not as a slave or as a servant. I come to Him as a son or as a daughter because this is my God. Paul encourages us, come on, walk worthy of the gospel. You are worthy to claim salvation. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you struggle with, the mistakes you've made in your past. You've been, you are worthy to accept salvation. Jesus died for you. You're worthy for God to heal you. You're worthy for God to bless you. You're worthy for God to change your marriage. You're worthy for God to give you that job. That you've got to put some weight on the blood of Jesus. That, that it's not what you did that qualifies you, but actually what Jesus did. That Jesus has qualified you and I for God's power. You might struggle with thoughts of unworthiness. And to be honest, if that's true, it's true for all of us. We all struggle with thoughts of unworthiness. But what you need to remember is this, that it's what Jesus did and not what I do that makes me worthy. Secondly, I want you to think about this. Walk worthy of your calling. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Come on, walk worthy of the gospel. But walk worthy of your calling. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Paul writes to Timothy, he says this, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling? Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which He's given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. The truth is, your job, what you do Monday to Friday, that's what you do for money. That's a vehicle for resource and an opportunity for influence, right? But, but your calling is actually what you do for the kingdom of God. Your job might be that you're a school teacher or you're an electrician or you're a barista or you're a doctor. But each one of us is called to be ministers of God's grace. In, in fact, my job is actually, as the pastor, my job is actually to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That, that's actually your calling. And so Paul says, hey, walk worthy of the gospel, but walk worthy of the calling. 
Take those things that you do, even as your job, and begin to elevate them and realize that, that I might be doing this and that for a job. That might be what I'm doing for money, but I'm actually called by God to be a minister of His grace. And so in that school, God, help me to see those young people, Lord, the way that you do. As I'm making those coffees, God, help me today have a word just for one person who, as I hand them their latte, I might be able to encourage them today. God, help me to see them, Lord, the way that you do. You might be scanning at, at, at Woolworths, right, through the checkout. Not one of those self-assisted ones. These people have got like big trolleys, right? You're helping them through. But, but even as you do that, that you might be able to give them a word of encouragement. Why? Because Woolworths is paying you, but God has called you. Here's the third one. Walk worthy. Walk worthy of the Lord. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. that Paul says, you know, when you begin to realize this, it's not based off what you do that makes you worthy. It's based off what Jesus has done. That's what makes you worthy. So stop trying to earn your worthiness. Stop trying to feel worthy. No, no, begin to understand you've been made worthy. But when you begin to do that, you begin to walk as one who's worthy. And when you do that, you please God. But when you do that, you become fruitful. When you do that, you begin to increase in the knowledge of God. Isn't that what we all want? Come on, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, wouldn't you love it that at the end of your days, that, that you could say, do you know what? I walked in a way that was befitting someone who'd been made worthy. My life pleased God. I, I was fruitful with everything God gave me to do. And I grew more and more in my relationship with Jesus. Some of us feel so unworthy because of our mistakes. But we still think that God relates to us according to our goodness and what we do. But I want you to hear me this morning. We're made worthy in spite of our mistakes. That God relates to us according to His goodness and what He's done. And so I want to encourage you, as Paul did, as a father encourages his children, comforts them, encourages, implores them, walk worthy of God. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I want to pray for two groups of people this morning. First, I want to pray for people who you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. But maybe because of little lies that have gotten into your own soul. Maybe because of the church upbringing you're a part of. Maybe just because of things you've believed that just, you're not even sure where they came from, but they've actually kept you far from God. You know, some of you this morning wanted to be able to lift your hands in worship, but you're remembering all the things you've done this week. You felt like that'd be a bit hypocritical to lift your hands. You're not worthy because of what you've done. You're worthy because of what God's done. And so I want to pray this morning for people who maybe you've struggled with a sense of feeling worthy of God's grace, worthy of His forgiveness. I want to pray this morning that would be completely broken off your life, that you would no more suffer with that ailment, that they would be completely done in your life. You've been made worthy. I want to pray for you this morning. And I also want to pray for people this morning who maybe you haven't yet put your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe today's the first time you've been in church. You're like, I've never heard someone talk about God so much in 35 minutes. Or maybe you've been to church lots before, but to be honest, you've been around church, but there's never been a moment in your life when you've actually given your life to Jesus. Where you've admitted, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm away from you. I need you to forgive me. Come and be the Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you, then this second prayer, I want to pray for you. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, just right now, you're already a believer. You already... You already believe 
that Jesus has saved you, but you're struggling with thoughts of worthiness. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you, would you just, I want you to lift your hand. I just want you to look up at me. I just want to be able to make eye contact with you. Yep. I'm going to pray for you this morning. Lord, I thank you this morning, God, for each one of these precious people. God, who've lifted their hands and said, Lord, I'm struggling. I feel bound up and tied in knots. I feel like I'm shackled, feeling like I'm not good enough. I come into church on Sundays and I feel like I'm digging myself out of a hole each week. I feel like I'm never quite sure if I'm right with you, whether I'm assured of my salvation or not. Lord, I pray that even right now, Jesus, that you would break those shackles off. That, God, they would understand once and for all a conviction, not just in their head. God, not even just as a belief, but something that goes much deeper than that, a conviction that cannot be shifted, that they've been made worthy. That, Jesus, everything that was ever needed to be done, you did it on the cross. That's why you cried out, it is finished. They don't to carry that burden even a moment longer, that feeling of unworthiness. Jesus, I pray right now by your Spirit that, Lord, you begin to minister to their hearts, that, God, those thoughts and those lies that have kept them bound, God, right now they'd be broken in Jesus' name, that, Lord, they'd walk out of this place today, God, with their shoulders back, Lord, with their chest out, realizing I've been made worthy. It's not because of me, Jesus. It's because of you and what you've done. Lord, I pray right now, let that be so. Lord, let them be so aware even right now, God, if you have forgiveness in their life, that God, that weight would fall from their shoulders, that God, they become aware of your great love for them. They don't need to earn it. They don't deserve it. But God, it's your free. You've loved us even while we were still sinners. That Jesus, right now, they'd become aware. God, they'd even begin to sense your love for them. God, as tears begin to roll down their cheeks, God, even right now, that they'd be aware that, Lord, you have made them worthy. That God, they're stepping out of that old way of living. God, they're placing themselves under that fountain. God, of your forgiveness and grace. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, Have a blessed day and until next time, bless you.